Isn't it a wonderful blessing to be able to to hear and study and and heed the Word of God every Sunday morning? Uh, God's Word is so rich, and uh, I just I love being able to share God's Word with people, and I hope you love reading and studying and learning to know more about God uh, through His Word. We're in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 9. Uh, Fleshly followers of fellow workers is the title of the sermon. For you who are older, uh, for more than 30 years, Flip Wilson kept America in stitches uh, with his television characters such as Reverend Leroy. And he had a church. Anybody remember the name of the church? He was a pompous pastor of the church of what's happening now was the name of it. They had a counterpart. Her name was Geraldine Jones. She was really sassy, if you remember Geraldine. And whenever Geraldine would do something and impulsively buy a dress or, or something she shouldn't do, she excused her urge by uttering a famous line. You remember what it is? The devil made me do it. Exactly. So... Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about divisions in the church, and he explains to them that they were adding human wisdom to spiritual endeavors, and that was causing problems. And he's giving a couple more reasons for the problems of divisions in the church. And the one thing that he couldn't tell them, they couldn't look at Paul and say, the devil made me do it. Because in the passage that we're looking at today, we see, first of all, that part of the problem was that they were fleshly in the way that they were acting towards one another. And the second thing they were doing is they were wrongly elevating human ministers. And so when we look at the church and we look at divisions in the church and and that sort of thing, one of the first places we need to look when there is division is at ourselves. Uh, fleshly immaturity. Divisions are caused by this sort of thing. And Paul's chasing in them. If you look at the verse, look at verse number one. He says, I, brothers, cannot address you as um, spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. I don't know about, <laughs> about you, but. I don't think I'd want Paul talking directly to me, correcting me, because, man, he just he just kept taking him down line by line here. But the Corinthian church had, had probably been in existence for about five years at this point in time. When, when they became believers, Paul began to feed them with, with milk. And that's what we do with newborns, isn't it? We feed them with milk, things that are easy to digest. But the shock to these Corinthian believers is that after five years of being a church, after five years of growing with Christ, he said, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, saved people, but I had to address you as fleshly people, worldly people. They had not grown up. They had acted in human fallenness. And we're going we're gonna to explain a little bit more about this in just a minute. But when we get saved, we don't immediately become perfect, do we? Not at all. There's a process of growth that takes place. Um, We still have the flesh. And when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's not talking about physical flesh. It's talking about human fallenness. We, We still carry our fallen nature with us. Now, Christ has 
destroyed the power of the flesh. And that, that's something that we need to understand. The, we, a lot of times we have a misunderstanding of what Paul's saying. When we get saved, Paul said, as a matter of fact, that the old man is dead. The flesh is dead. Yet, he goes on to explain that that dead flesh influences. So how does it do that? How does the flesh um, influence us? Well, some of the, uh, one of the more popular illustrations, which I think is, does a good job of explaining it, would be like this. If you can picture yourself uh, with your old man on your back, you have a corpse tied to your back, and you're trudging through life with a corpse on your back, it's dead, but it's influencing everything that you do. And that's, that's kind of the way Paul would describe the, the, the Christian experience here in this world. You are alive in Christ. Your old nature is, is dead. It doesn't have power over you. But man, oh man, is it influencing everything that we do, isn't it? And, and then that would be the illustration. And that is why we long for the redemption of the body. Paul said in Romans 8.23, he said, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, listen, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, I was in a Bible study Friday morning, and we were talking about our sin nature. And one of the things that we all agreed with is one of the things that we're looking forward to is when we get to heaven, for the first time in our lives, we will not be tempted to sin. Won't that be great? We eagerly long for that redemption of our bodies. The Corinthians, they hadn't grown up. Look at what he says. He said, I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Now, people of the flesh, that would be somebody who's unsaved, but he goes on to describe what exactly he meant. He said, infants in Christ. As a result, Paul kept having to feed them spiritual milk. He says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, because you were not ready for it. And then he says this, five years in, he says, and you are still not ready. So a couple explanations here. First of all, what is spiritual milk? Spiritual milk is the basics of the doctrine of the gospel, the, the basic doctrines, the basic teachings of Jesus Christ. That's spiritual milk. It's it's non-threatening basic teachings of Christianity. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You remember that song, right? And we, and we teach these basics. And it would be it would be listening to constant evangelistic sermons week in week out. Preachers give that are they're aimed at non-believers. And unfortunately, many Christians today that's that's literally all they want. They want to come to church. They want to hear a non-threatening, positive, inspirational message that doesn't cause them to think and doesn't cause them to wrestle with spiritual truth. But solid food, and this is what you need to understand, solid food is the same doctrinal teachings. It's the same spiritual teachings, but it's, it's with a new depth of understanding. 
It's a new depth of it causes a new depth of worship that you've you've never had before. One commentator said this: a, a Christian, a new Christian, might explain the atonement as this: Christ died for my sins. That would be a new Christian's explanation of the atonement, and that's exactly right. A, a Christian who has been a long time student of the Word would begin to take that same atonement and say. Well, we in the atonement, there's such things as regeneration and justification and substitution and propitiation because they've taken that same doctrine and they're unfolding it in deeper and deeper ways, understanding it more. You see the difference? That's the difference between spiritual milk and spiritually solid food. And Christians don't want to be stuck in a state of spiritual infancy or spiritual Immaturity. Now what, and this is the question, this is where I want to go with this. How do you know whether you're spiritually mature or spiritually an infant? Is it knowledge? Is it your ability to unpack biblical truth? Is it, um, is it character? What your character looks like? Is it how many ministries you're involved in in the church, how many people you witness in church, what makes a spiritually mature person and what makes a spiritually immature person? And the answer to that question, according to Paul in this passage, is a spiritually immature person, a spiritual infant, is a worldly infant. He calls it people of the flesh. It, it, it means to continue to act like an unbeliever. Look at verse number 3. This is how he says it. He's, he, he, he just said that I have to treat you like an infant. And then he sell, says why? For you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way. The fleshly acts, including jealousy and strife, and the word behind jealousy is a very interesting word. We think of like being jealous for something. The word jealousy here is actually a word for zeal. Zealous. You're, you're zealous. But zealous for what? The answer is zealous for themselves and what makes them happy and what pleases them. It's selfish ambition. They want their way. The words jealousy and strife appear all over the New Testament, and they're, they're, they're listed as deeds of the flesh. Look at these. These are just a few I cherry-picked from the New Testament. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. And here's the word. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and then again the word divisions. These are all words that we find Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. How about Romans 1.29? They were filled with all manner of unrighteous evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder. And here's the word, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. This is, if you're not familiar with Romans chapter 1, he's describing people who have rejected God. And this is what they're like. Um, we can go to Titus 3.9. But avoid foolish con- controversies, genealogies, 
dissensions, there's that word strife, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And so these are, these are the deeds of people who do not know Jesus Christ. These are the way that they're looking out for number one. And Paul said they have no business being in the church, right? This is nothing more than self-centeredness of heart. Put a group of self-centered people together and you will have a worldly church. You will have an immature church. Worldly churches are divided churches. And you might ask why. This is such an important verse I go to over and over and over. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. Your desires, your passions. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and you quarrel. Do you know why churches are divided? Do you know why churches fight and quarrel? Because they're self-centered. They're full of self-centered people who want their way. Think about, think about um, infants for just a minute. Infants are cute. I love infants, right? But how big is their world? Not very big. Their life is almost totally self-centered and selfish. An infant's whole concern is with its own comfort, its own hunger, its own attention, its own sleep, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not putting infants down. I love infants. I have, I have a new granddaughter. I, I just want to hold her anytime I can get a chance, um, which is kind of hard to do. She's in Alabama. But when I do, I, I want to hold her a lot, right? But that, that's an infant. Young, ch- young children are self-centered. They can't see beyond themselves so many times. But it should not be typical of an adult, especially a Christian adult. It is spiritually infantile to be jealous of others and be causing strife. Their, their particular manifestation of worldliness is in the follow, following of men. Look at what he says next in this passage. He says, for when one says... And, and see that word for? He's further explaining. So, so if you follow Paul's logic in this, he says this. He says, you're infants. Why? Or he uses the word for. Because you're worldly. Well, how do I know you're worldly? For you have jealousy and strife. Okay? What kind of jealousy and strife? For. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Are they not nearly being human? So when you develop factions around certain leaders of the church, then you're acting in fleshly ways. So, are Paul and Apollos here today? They're not, are they? So so that's a problem we don't need to concern ourselves with. Paul and Apollos are gone. We're not following people today, are we? We're way beyond that. I mean, we would never say something like, I am of Calvin or I am of Arminius, would we? Why are you laughing? Would that be the same kind of thing? It's exactly the same kind of thing. We have to be careful when we follow men now, both of these men, both of their systems of doctrine, I just want to say this, both of their systems of doctrine 
are in what is considered Orthodox Christianity. Orthodox Christianity is not a liturgy. It means that you are uh, considered a, an evangelical Christian, if I can use that word, that you're considered um, in the household of faith, and you can follow either one of these two men. Am I correct about that? You better all be saying yes. If you're saying no, then you, ha- you really do have a problem. And so, so I'm just going to park here for just a minute, right? So to divide a church over these two men and their systems of doctrine would have to show a heart problem. Paul and Apollos, both believers, both orthodox. Apollos and Paul worked well together, and yet the church divided over them. So to divide a church into factions over following men like this is a heart problem. Let me give you a little insight. Now, I don't know if I'll probably get called for this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Did you know that our elder board is actually divided on this issue? But you know what? Divided in our belief. But you know what? We have complete unity because there's a love for one another and a respect for one another, and that's the way it should be. We may not agree 100% on this issue, but there is a love on that elder board like I've never seen because we understand that these two men, we put them in the proper place and elevate Jesus Christ. I was talking to somebody about this today, this week, and I love the way they phrased it. Listen to this. This is talking about doctrine, these kind of issues. They said, if whatever doctrine you believe doesn't lead you to worship, then you are off in your belief. If you're following a certain doctrine causes you to only think about firing shots at the other side, then you've got the wrong emphasis whatsoever because the study of doctrine should lead you to magnify Jesus Christ. So if you follow Calvin, then under, your understanding of unconditional election and... and um, and uh, limited atonement, all those sort of things should make you say, praise the Lord that God saved me. And if you follow Arminius and say that uh, prevenient grace is, is what did it, and I'm thankful that God put it in my heart that I would, I would choose salvation instead of not choosing salvation, then you should say, praise the Lord that I am saved, that Jesus died for me. Is to draw you to worship Him. Now, I'm not picking on anybody here because every single church I've been in has had a problem with this. I'm just, I'm just explaining how it should be. But you know what? I would say, and you would agree with me, that the vast majority of disagreements in churches are nothing this serious, are they? I mean, churches divide over some ridiculous things, don't they? I looked it up this week. How about four? How about this one? Arguing over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. I don't know, Mike. (laughs) This is for real. I looked this up. How about argument and vote to decide if the clock in the worship center should be removed? How about a fight over which picture Jesus to put in the foyer? 
How about arguing over what type of green beans the church should serve? Oh, we can't stop with four, can we? How about this one? Arguing over the whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Arguing over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. And one of my, my favorites, a disagreement over what should we call it, a pot luck or a pot blessing. I'm glad we're not like those people. These are prime examples. Would you, would you say that these are prime examples of fleshly attitudes in a church? How ridiculous would it be? But what, what, what are the common things? These are the uncommon, the ridiculous. But what are the common things that people in churches divide and get upset over? How about, how about this one? They didn't get what they requested in their ministry budget. I'm upset because I asked for this amount. I didn't get it. I got this amount, which is much less. How about um, the theme or the time of VBS? How about grumbling for not being recognized? I did not get recognized. I'm upset. And when your pet project or special ministry or favorite program becomes so important to you that you're willing to make waves, Dear believer, you are acting in a fleshly manner. Getting kind of quiet in here. You know, I'll tell you one situation I was involved in. Uh, Keys. Keys in the church. Um, When I was in Memphis, uh, our church, which was, uh, you know, larger than this one, we had 12 keys for the whole church. I think Providence has 50 or 60 Seriously. Is that right? 60? How many? Oh, 46. I'm sorry. I was off. Okay. 46 keys. We had a church, you know, 450 people or more, and we had 12 keys. So I moved to Pound. Pound had 70 people when I got there, 170 when I left. But the whole time I was there, one of the things that we did, we realized that there was no security in the church when teenagers could walk up and then lock the door and walk into the church anytime they wanted. We had an issue. So we rekeyed it, and I was involved in it, and I said, you know what, we should only need 12 keys. And there was one lady who didn't get the keys she thought she deserved. Man, that was a problem. Because now she had to make a phone call to get into the church, or she had to come when the church office was open. And it was, that was constantly an issue. So much so that she brought it up in a business meeting that we need more keys. Ends up, somebody loaned her a key and they never got it back from her. But fleshly immaturity is a cause for division. But there's a second cause that Paul talks about, and that is elevating human ministers, wrongly elevating them. And Paul, when he talks about this, he said there's, there's, there's four um, reasons that we shouldn't give allegiance to humans that belong to God. When I say wrongly elevating, I'm, I'm giving them a, a particularly high allegiance. Look at verse number five. He says, when, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. So why should we not give undue regard or wrongly elevate human 
ministers and give them the same allegiance that we give to God? Number one, Paul says, because they're just performing their assigned tasks. They're servants. They're simply instruments in the Redeemer's hands. God deserves the glory, doesn't he? The instrument never gets the glory. It's always the person using the instrument. You know, if, if I picked up Mike's violin, Mike brings his violin here one day, and um, every now and then he has it here. If I picked up Mike's violin and started to play Vivaldi's Four Seasons, um, y'all would run. Okay? But if Mike picked it up and started playing it, you know what? You would love it. The difference is who plays it. And when he got done playing it, people wouldn't run up to the front, start stroking the violin, saying, wonderful violin, you're such a great violin. Because the difference in the music that's being played has to do with the person playing it, right? And that is true when it comes to church. And that is why Paul and Apollos are simply, they should not have undue allegiance placed on them because they're servants and God deserves the glory. The number two reason, look at this, verse number six, it's God who causes the church to grow. I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God gave the growth. They had their assigned tasks. What were the assigned tasks? Paul said, I planted. He planted the church. He was the apostle. He goes on to talk about later on that he lays the foundation. Apollos came in after Paul laid the foundation and built upon that foundation. And he pastored the church for a while. But the increase, the growth is not up to Paul or Apollos. God made it grow. No man, not even the best farmer, the best horticulturalist, can give physical life or physical growth to a plant. How much less can anyone, even an apostle, give spiritual life or spiritual growth to a person? The most the men can do, in either case, is to prepare and water the soil and to plant the seeds, and the rest is up to God. Because God's the Creator. God, God's the sustainer, the savior of the world, and the, and the God of the universe. And He's the source of all things, and He alone is worthy of honor. We, we are but His servants. If an, if an artist is to be honored, you don't, you don't make a statue of his brush or his palette. It makes more, no, you, you make a, a, a statue of the artist. And it makes no more sense for Christians to glorify men. Even a Paul or Apollos are only brushes or palettes in the Master's hands. Such are to be esteemed and loved for their work, but they're not to be revered against another person. Okay? Paul goes on. Look at verse number 7. He says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. In comparison to God who gives the growth, church leaders are nothing. Church Leaders are nothing compared to God. They're literally nothing. Paul's point is that the progress of the gospel is the work of God. When it comes to church growth, when it, when it comes to ministers and denominations and institutions, all of those things are contingent. They're not necessary. God can plug anybody into any position He wants, right? The growth is up to Him. If He chooses to use one person over another, so be it. 
That's just the way he works. To give a Christian uh, leader too high of a stature is to ignore their absolute impotence without the power of the life-giving Spirit. So when respect or fondness leads to an exclusive loyalty, this causes division and it detracts from the proper God-centered focus that we should have. And we need to remember that only God makes things grow and is worthy of our undivided gratitude and adoration. Isn't that wonderful? He can use anybody. And then the fourth thing that Paul says, verse number 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one. And then he goes on to say, And each will receive his wages according to his labor. God is the one who assesses workers and rewards them, right? All of God's workers are one in Him. All of God's workers are one in Him. Howie and I are one together, aren't we? Okay. And whoever follows me here at this church is one together. There's, there's not one person that should be elevated against another. We're just one. We're just workers in God's field. That's all we are. And God is the one who assesses the work. And the recognition of our oneness in the Lord is, is the sure and only remedy for divisiveness. It leaves no place for the flesh and jealousy and strife and division because God is the one who assesses and, and they receive the reward for their labor. And this is interesting. When you go through the, the New Testament, what you find is that God rewards on terms of labor on terms of faithfulness in their labor, and never in terms of results. Because the results are up to him. You know, I, I often quote uh, John MacArthur who said this. He said, My responsibility as a pastor is the depth of the teaching of the church. God's responsibility is the breadth of the influence. And that's absolutely true. If you're visiting with us today, and you, you, you go to a church where you have a faithful pastor who's faithful to pray and faithful to preach God's Word, you ought to be thankful for that man and thank him for his faithfulness because that's what God rewards. It doesn't matter his abilities. It doesn't matter the outside uh, influence that he has. What matters is his faithfulness. A missionary may work faithfully for 40 years and only see a handful of converts. And another one may work far fewer years and see far more converts. Do we have examples of this in the Bible, by the way? Oh, yeah, we do. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, how long was his ministry? It was decades. Decades of ministry Jeremiah had and had almost no results. And then before him walks this guy, actually he kind of got spit up, named Jonah, who goes to a, a town that he hates. And he gives one simple sentence, 40 days, God's going to destroy this place. And the whole city comes into revival and gets saved, right? And God reverses judgment. Could you imagine if that was today, by the way? We, we would have a book called The Jonah Method of Ministry. <laughs> be like, and he would be on the circuit. And I'm telling you, all I did is say, you know, all you got to do is stand up in front of the, the church and say, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed unless you all repent. That's all you got to do. 
That's the technique. Y'all are laughing because you know that when you look at the Scripture, most likely God judged Jeremiah far more faithful than he did Jonah, didn't he? We know that because we see the heart. But here today, all we see are human results. And, and so, because we have Scripture, we understand God's evaluation of work. And, and our, our usefulness and effectiveness are purely by God's grace. If you are a Sunday school teacher, if, if you're, um, well, even parents, parents, if let's say you have four kids, and all four of them turn out spectacular, you know what? Thank the Lord and never take credit for yourself. Thank the Lord and never take credit. Teachers, if you're Sunday school class, if you're influential in your Sunday school class, thank the Lord that He did it and not yourself. And if Providence Bible Church continues to grow in the Lord and people mature, you know what we're going to do? We're going to thank the Lord because it has nothing to do with anybody in this church, right? It's God and His Word, and He works as He wills. And when it comes to elevating people, we, we need to be very careful. Here's the conclusion. Verse number 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You know what Paul said? It wasn't their ministry that they were working in. It was His. It's God's ministry. What... A divine, can I use the word partnership? What a divine partnership. It was God's church in Corinth, not Paul's or Apollos' or Peter's. And the believers there were God's field. And he was building, building that field into God's building. And his alone. And, for the, and the glory for any work done there in any way, shape, or form is also to go to God. And the same is true for Providence Bible Church. We are His and His alone, and He deserves all the glory. So I want to ask, how is your maturity? What have you taken up sides on that's not really a doctrinal or a moral issue? What has offended you or upset you in the church that should not have? These, these questions, if you're asking these questions, reveal where, we, where you are spiritually. And I'm just going to say this. If something is coming to your mind, that's not a coincidence. That would be the Holy Spirit piercing your conscience. You see, there's no room for this sort of thing in the church whatsoever. If you give undue allegiance to a human instrument in a Redeemer's hands, then you need to be careful. The Bible is clear. The pastors should be honored. Faithful pastors should be honored. They should be thanked. They should be prayed for and listened to. But they should not be elevated to some sort of saintly status. They should be appreciated. But they should not be elevated. Because all the praise and all the glory belongs to God. And I would say that everyone here wants God's glory and not our own. Lord, I thank you for the words of Paul. They're divine words because your scripture is inspired. We thank you that we can be instructed by the word of God and that we can examine our hearts 
because of God's Word. And I pray, Lord, that this church will praise and honor and glorify You. That there, As I pray literally every single day, I'll pray again today, I pray for unity around the Gospel of Jesus Christ for Providence Bible Church. Lord, may You be magnified and honored and praised in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we love one another, in the way that we minister, and now in a few seconds, in the way that we sing. In Christ's name, amen.